Welcome to Bach Lab, the podcast by Emanuel Music, the living laboratory for the music of J.S. Bach. I'm Claudia Dorian, and in this episode, I'm bringing you along to a masterclass for all. On Wednesday, July 19th, Emanuel Music held this masterclass, where community members were invited to perform Bach and learn from artistic director Ryan Turner and Bach Institute director Pamela DeLal. In this episode of Bach Lab, you'll hear from soprano Carolyn Roosevelt, flautist and the Emanuel Music Executive Director, Jacqueline Dentino, and pianist Frank Run. I was able to chat with these lovely musicians before and after the class to bring you an episode full of learning and musical growth. You'll also hear clips from the masterclass once again before and after they received insightful coaching and feedback from Pam and Ryan. I hope you enjoy getting to know these musicians as much as I did and also apply some of these musical takeaways to your own listening and practice. Here's the beforehand chats with Carolyn, Jackie, and Frank. Okay, yeah, so I'd love to hear your story on, you know, what kind of music you make, um, what role is that having in your life, and what brought you to this masterclass? Um, I have been singing in choir since I was seven, third grade, and um, I'm the youngest in the family, so I was really, you know, already eager to do this thing that everybody else did. Um, and that was a, not a children's choir, but a parish choir that was half children hmm. um, that my dad conducted. Um, and he had a really rich life in music. So we were exposed to um, Palestrina and um, Buxahuda and um, Mozart Abiverum and the um, the duet from Cantata 78 in English only the A section but he believed that all of the great music was accessible if you had good training mm-hmm. um, I did play violin for three years in middle school which boosted my ability to read music um, but otherwise, it has been church choirs and secular choirs right the way through. Um, and I, I had a moment um, in my 20s when I first came to Emmanuel, like, what? what's the meaning of this if, I, um, if I'm at a church and not in the primary choir? Mm-hmm. But um, four months of the year, I can be in the choir in the chapel. Um, and the other eight months I have been in secular choirs, either at the Longy School or the Cambridge Chamber Singers now. And so the seasons work out that I am in a rehearsal, in a singing situation, week in and week out, um, continuously. Uh, in my early 30s, um, because I was at the Longy School, I started taking a voice class mm. to see if I wanted to get to know that repertoire and what, you know, what my voice might be like, um, which was um, fulfilling enough that I started taking private lessons in my 40s um, and appeared in a couple of Mozart operas and it's just, just so fun. Totally. Um, and that was again like backyard quality electric piano, um, but it fit in with my life. Um, I'm in retail, I work five days a week, 
but I never work Sundays because I want to go to church. I want to hear the cantatas and sing hymns. What piece specifically are you bringing and what are some things that you've been working on it? Like what has your practice been focused on? Um, the aria from cantata 127, Die Seele Ruth in Jesu Hände. Hände. Um, so it is a, it's a breath challenge. It's got this, the long notes need to sound restful. Mm. And and then there's an episode, the, the B section is a little more like, um, like the reason the rest is important is that I'm gonna die, bring on the death now, come on, because Jesus will wake me mm -hmm. again. And so how that sort of fits together and what you do with the, return of the a section just just want to play with that um yeah. the the practice challenge is also just like warming up correctly to have the freedom to sing it hmm. um, what, how, what does that look like for you what's your warm-up like um well i've got all these choral warm-ups but it's it's really kind of a matter of finding um a place to let it go to, to sing out it's a small house and and there's mm. another person here so yeah um but I got caught singing in the shower at the gym which is, <laughs> I, I thought I was alone that's funny you know I hope they enjoyed it yeah. um yeah. what are you anticipating from the class any I don't know like what does performance feel like for you like this sounds like my favorite kind of performance yeah for you know anywhere between 15 and 40 people um 10 of whom like me already or whatever you know um so to bring a presence to it to be able to stand still and deliver mm. um and it, you know it, the piece doesn't need selling but just to to present it as a gift yeah that's lovely Jackie, I'm really excited to be talking to you with this lens of this masterclass, which is kind of an atypical masterclass, right? It's a casual um, community engagement event. Um, as the executive director, what made you want to participate and like be part of it as one of the musicians? Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts going into it. Um, the first being that it was a just a good opportunity for me to take my flute out of the box and practice uh, intentionally and thoughtfully um, for something on a deadline, right? So since I'm doing so much on the admin side of classical music, I don't play as much as I used to. So to have an opportunity to do that was really nice. Um, and it's also just a great opportunity for me to collaborate with my colleagues on the artistic staff in a way that's different from what I usually do. Mm -hmm. um, so instead of just kind of thinking about things from the administrative or the business perspective, uh, it gives me a different way to engage with Ryan and Pam Delal with their work. 
and hear their thoughts on how, you know, I'm playing with flute these days. Because usually what I see with the artistic side of our team, you know, inside of our admin team at Emanuel Music, it's staff meetings, it's logistics, it's fundraising, marketing, programming, everything we do behind the scenes. And then, of course, the concerts, right? So I get to see Ryan and Pam perform and conduct and see them in action from the audience side. Yeah. Um, so to be able to see that in action and see that work happen from a musician side is something I haven't yet experienced with Emanuel Music. You do work at an arts organization, so I expect music to be a large part of your life, but playing the flute, I feel like, tell me the ways that that has grown and changed where it begun and how it feels now. Yeah, it's a it's been a journey, you know, because I started playing flute when I was seven. Uh, my parents are music teachers and got me started really early. So I actually don't remember part of my life when I wasn't playing flute or involved in music and classical music in some way. Um, so definitely between the ages of seven and 22, right, that music performance and training was on a constant increase, right? So the older I got, the more involved I got, the more training I got, um, went to college to major in music performance. Um, but, you know, right as I was graduating from undergrad, I decided that I wanted to do more arts administration than have a performance career. Um, so since then, my engagement with lute as a musician has been kind of up and down. Um, I teach lessons. I have a couple of, you know, kids that I teach music lessons to, and that's a great opportunity to get my flute out of the box. Um, but for a lot of the time, really, since graduating my undergrad, um, sometimes I'll take my flute out to play for fun, but then it gets really emotional, honestly, because yeah. I'm like, man, I know how this is supposed to sound and I still have my training. I know what I want to do, but my body's just not doing it because I'm out of shape. Um, so you have to be a little vulnerable. Like, I feel like I have to be a bit vulnerable and honest with myself and just kind of play to enjoy it instead of playing it to put pressures on myself to be better every time. Yeah. What are you bringing to the masterclass? What made you pick it? And tell me a little bit about it. Okay, sure. So I'm going to play the final movement of the Bach Partita in A minor for solo flute. Um, I picked the fourth movement. Because I feel like this is blasphemous to say at a Bach organization, but I feel like it's the most rhythmically variable. And it's it's kind of funny because when I was studying flute in undergrad, I did kind of hate Bach for exactly that reason. Um, just a lot of repeated quick notes, a lot of what I call noodly bits, you know, lots of um, rapid fingerings and rapid movements. Um, yeah. So is this something you'd worked on before and you're returning to it? Eh, yeah, I worked on it. I want to say like senior year of high school into my freshman year of college and I haven't touched it since. And, uh, the, the copy that I have of this music is Urtext, um, which for anyone you're not, but for anyone listening who doesn't know, um, Urtext is a classical music publisher that really just publishes the notes. There's nothing written in there in terms of ornamentation or volume or really metronome marking or really any kind of indication of how the notes should be played. So it gives the musician uh, a chance to use their own knowledge, their own context um, for what they want to do in terms of slurs versus tonguing versus louder versus softer. Um, so it's been fun for me to dig back into my Bach training and my Bach knowledge there to say, well, when I have this repeated run of 16th notes, the second time should be quieter and this should actually have an ornamentation to it. You know, this has a turn. So I've gone through with my pencil and added back in all the notes and everything that I think it should be. Yeah. Um, 
but of course I'm rusty on this. So it's going to be really interesting to hear if Ryan and Pam agree <laughs> with what I think is how it should be. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but the hardest thing has been just the breath support. Um, mm. because I just don't have the same lung capacity that I do when I'm regularly performing. Um, and of course I had a pretty significant injury and in this past October, which affected just my regular physical fitness, um, heart rate, lung capacity, and that's all part of it as well. So I feel so physically out of shape when I play and that was expected, but it's something that takes time to overcome. Um, so of course, too, with this piece for Bach, there's nowhere written, really. There's nothing written in for phrasing. There's nothing written in for breathing. Um, because it's for flute alone, it's not like I get two measures of rest while the piano plays. So trying to figure out for me where I want the phrasing to be musically versus where I actually need to breathe <laughs> and, yeah. and what the reality is going to be are two different things. Um, so just getting the physical fitness back in shape is harder because I, I feel like my musical training and fitness is still there and I know what I want to do, but actually doing it is a different conversation. Yeah. Is there anything you are expecting out of the masterclass? What are, what are your predictions or even like hopes maybe? Okay. I was going to say, I'm expecting to mess up. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I'm definitely looking forward to getting Ryan and Pam's insight on, you know, just kind of how I'm playing it at this point, like not as if I were taking it for a professional performance or any kind of recital even. Um, and I, and I'm just looking forward to being able to share in music making with people in this way. Um, you know, and, and with my colleagues and with the Emmanuel community who's in the audience and everything there. Um, but yeah, that's my hope. I'm, I'm just kind of looking forward to the experience and accepting that there will be places where I mess up and hoping that it's okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm really excited to hear you. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Okay, well, I play the piano. I have played the piano since I was first allowed to take lessons at age 10. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed uh, throughout my life um, playing mainly classical music, but I've gotten involved since we moved, my wife and I moved to a retirement community here in Newton in about six years ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of folks there that do different kinds of things. So I've been accompanying singers and uh, a clarinet player we do show show tunes from the 1930s and 40s and cool. and then uh, you know I have I play with a violinist uh who's ex-professional who's a very good player she, but she's in her 90s mm -hmm. and she she just she continues to play very well uh and then I, I I'm trying to keep up some solo pieces and so when I heard about this Bach master class. I thought this would be a great time to to dig into you know box box music for piano transcriptions of organ music actually. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been I'll be playing tonight. Nice. What kind of um I know Bach on piano is kind of debatable. What kind of style do you like to play, especially on this organ? That's exactly what I, that's what exactly what I want to get out of this master class. Okay, yeah. Joni was a great romantic, late romantic pianist, 
and expansive and moody and uh, and full of you know a range of 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 feelings that he could. Uh, and when he did, he did a lot of Bach transcriptions, and he 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 made them extraordinarily exciting, but a big departure from Baroque style, right? And, and so, uh, no matter what what you're allowed to get away with, I think. And I'm interested in seeing what Pam Delal and Ryan think about <laughs> departures and whether they they may sort of want to throw up some of the things I'm going to try. <laughs> interpretation is definitely a really good thing to want out of a masterclass but when you're kind of just working through it by yourself like what are some things you've been paying attention to well okay so so i i intermittently have been taking lessons all my life until until about five years ago with when even before covid um and so i i when i play tonight there's going to be real problems <laughs> because i haven't had a lesson for so long you know, and uh, and so we'll see uh, what they are going to put up with. So uh, the, the big issue that I have, Claudia, is to play the polyphony in a way where the voices are heard but not blurred. When I, when I use the pedal, of course, I I everything mm -hmm. sounds. Every note note I've struck when I when I've hit the pedal sounds. And with polyphony, you want to have some voices go away and other voices appear. And when the pedal's down, it, it makes it blurred. Is there anything you're looking forward to? Like even just having a opportunity to perform or? Well, no, I, well, I see, I know Ryan and Pam very well for yeah. the years and I just have enormous affection for them as well as respect. They're amazing people. meeting each of the participants and hearing their story, now it's time to transport to the master class. What you're about to hear is each musician's performance, followed by a reflection and a discussion about their takeaways. Then you'll hear a clip from the master class after they've been coached. I hope this allows you to get a feel for what the class was like, to hear each of these musicians think on and then improve after they try these new ideas. Also, I apologize in advance for the slightly unpleasant background noise. It will be just like it was being in the room with us. So to start off, here's Carolyn performing Dicil Root in Jesu Handen from BWV 127.
after Carolyn's initial performance, Pam and Ryan had some really mm. interesting ideas about shifting maybe the understanding of the meaning behind the piece. Carolyn had originally come to it with ideas of restfulness, and there was kind of a question of maybe there's some unrest or something unsure about the harmonies that kind of clashes with the meaning of the words and how would you go about performing it in this mood so you'll hear carolyn and i kind of dive into those ideas yeah Um, i mean i guess the biggest thing is how do you feel about i guess like the shift in tone that she was trying to get you to take like what did that make you think and feel well um when she was saying there's no one size fits all and um how layered Bach is you know I you're you're singing these long half notes and even a whole note at one point and um but then Bach is also sending you like a mountain goat at the, at the end of the sections um like you are trying to be restful but there's still some anguish in it it's and it's um it's restful over this very unsettled harmonic thing um which you know practicing by myself I'm not getting but now I'm hearing Noriko like oh man you're gonna torture even the even the long smooth note is gonna be tortured from underneath by the continuous um death bells yeah it's like it's always going off um into uh complexity and anguish that's you know it's never just one thing it's so fun yeah I like that so you're able to kind of recognize these layers when you yeah yeah um I'm wondering there was when you redid it all at the end um especially those held notes were so much more powerful um was there anything you were thinking about technically to make that happen or what kind of adjustments were you making in order to kind of try something new? Um, I think I was responding to Ryan's suggestion that the simple vowel ooh could be spookier, could be deeper. I, I, I mean, I'm maybe hearing something you didn't say, but um, it's got it's got drive to it, you know. Uh, and you know admitting that you're resting in a world where people die all the time and where earth lands on them um um yeah i thought that was a really interesting the vowel stuff especially i'm not a singer so i kind of have no concept for that right like how like what did he mean when he meant like changing the vowel like i guess there's different ways to say it well, you um, you have a basic shape um, that makes it the vowel it is, but you also have room to like deepen the back of your mouth mm. um, and make more space inside the space. Um, and you can hear that. Yeah, I was struck by the similarities between like the flute and the voice too, like how breath. Yeah, uh-huh. and what's you know how long the legato lasts this phrase is six notes and like 
leaving out the breath is a valuable choice. Putting in more breaths is a different viable choice, both on the singer and on the piece. Yeah. Somehow. Oh, that's super um, cool. Yeah. Um, nice. Well, I, I'm already hearing so many takeaways. What are some things that you're going to like bring to your practice, um, you know, in the future, maybe? Well, you know, bring more. Bring, mm -hmm. but, but they said to practically everybody, it's like, go with that. And, um, you know, overall, I just, as I said, I don't live my life in that voice. Um, and Ryan was like, so, you know, you bring out this special thing um, that's like, it's a color you have and a, a power. So um, just go somewhere and see where it goes. It's really fun. And I'll go out to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse every week. I don't put on a fur coat every week, but for um, these pieces, this material, you absolutely do. You bring um, you bring a sense of uh, communication and urgency, and um, and letting it sound difficult. Now, that's a genius idea. Mm -hmm. Here's Jackie with the fourth movement of the Partita in A minor for flute.
I'm trying to remember, there was a lot of talk of like breath, which was sort of a through line through the whole thing, because of course it's like vocal staff and a lot of the other participants were singers, which I thought was really cool to hear like flute in that vein, right? Like it's much more similar than you would expect. Yeah. And then also this notion of like commit to what you're doing. Like if you're going to do something, make sure it is like overtly intentional or something. Yeah. What were your takeaways? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say both of those things. The common theme of where to breathe in Bach. (laughs) as wind players as singers you know is really funny because I feel like we've been trying to figure this out for 300 years and we still come to these pieces like where do I breathe um especially you know in an amateur master class where a lot of us aren't conditioned right we're not doing this for many hours a day so where do we take that breath and I I know for me there were many places where I was breathing where I didn't want to Um, just because I was either thinking about other things or having a hard time to take the breath fully. Um, but the, the phrasing of where to breathe or the, I guess I should say the conversation around phrasing around where to breathe and not being ashamed of breathing is huge, you know, and I, I feel like I need to be told to don't be afraid of taking a breath or to not be afraid of taking a breath. Um, because especially when you're faced with music, that's just all 16th notes the entire way through without any rest, without anything written. You think like, I have to go. I have to keep going. I have to stay rhythmically accurate. I've got to go through the whole thing. Um, so to be reminded to take a breath and make it significant is a really helpful comment for sure. Yeah. And I was even thinking about, you were telling me you were working with Urtext and right, like one of the things that came up in other performers as well is you know, there isn't going to be a place to tell you where to breathe, but there's going to be these, you know, hints or markers. And even though it doesn't say like, you should breathe here. I don't know. There's this expectation that you are a person, like you're going to breathe or you're going to need time or, and to like kind of be working with it in that way is interesting, I think. Yeah. And how to use the breaths. I mean, yes, like you said, because we're a person and we need to breathe, but also how to use them effectively and how to use them musically, right? Yeah. And, and take up the space for it and give that audience a little pause. So yeah, huge theme throughout the whole night. I thought it was funny because I know the uh, the singer who went up first, it was told that same thing. Don't be afraid to breathe, leave the audience wanting more. And then I went up to do my thing and did the exact same thing she did. So <laughs> yeah. Um, how did it feel like to be playing? It felt good just because I've missed it. Um, And it it feels good to at least know in my head that my training is still there, you know, and I, I, I have a pretty good sense of what I want this to sound like. I feel like my, my musical instincts are still correct. Um, You know, frustrating to be out of shape and to not like have the body meeting what the brain wants it to be doing, but it gave me a reason to practice. And it was just fun to be in front of a, you know, a good community and like a pretty judgment-free place where we could just go up and have some fun. So I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, and one of the reasons why I signed up, because uh, of course, as the ED of the organization, I work with Ryan and Pam very administratively all the time, um, but I'm never on the receiving end of what they do best in terms of their instruction. Um, so it was an opportunity for me to work with my colleagues in that different way and have some fun with it. So I had a great time. Great. 
Well, any other takeaways, thoughts, things you're going to bring with you in your practice? Yeah, you know, the other the other kind of theme and comment I got was about um, kind of trusting my musical choices and committing to them and, and just kind of making them more. And, you know, I feel like I've, you know, since I finished my music program and haven't really played, I've been playing smaller, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm not doing things as big. I'm not doing things as dramatically. And I feel like it's just because I'm a little embarrassed about how I play and I don't want anything to be too much, even in my own face, right. Or even in like the comfort and safety of my own home. I'm just like, Oh, I'm just going to toot, toot my flute and see if I can get through the notes. And that's fine. You know, and have kind of lowered the expectations for it. Um, so to kind of be given permission to trust myself on it and to go bigger and to have fun with it, honestly, instead of just approaching it academically or approaching it from a stressful environment, um, but just to have fun with the music and feel the music is something that I didn't really know that I needed to hear. Um, but now I feel like I need to hear it 10 more times. <laughs> you know, just keep reminding myself to to trust my instincts and play with it and enjoy it and, and make it bigger and make these bolder gestures. And, you know, that's what makes the music fun. And that's what makes the music. So, um, I mean, just so, I mean, it's why we're still doing it. It's what makes it so emotional and human and so relevant. Um, you know, and of course the piece I played is very technical. A lot of Bach is very technical. Um, so sometimes reminding myself that it's not just a technical etude and that there is fun to be had with it is important as well. Totally. And finally, here's Frank with the Busoni transcription of Ikruf Zudir, the organ chorale prelude by Bach.
trying to think back to your performance. I remember a lot of the talking points were kind of about like your pacing. Um, and we talked before about being just kind of like unsure about the interpretation. Um, what do you feel like their thoughts were maybe? Well, um, so I, th I think that, that, that they, both Pam and Ryan wanted me to concentrate on the basic underlying harmony and, and Ryan suggested that I, that I look hard at the original chorale. I remember that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then see what Bach did with it in terms of lines and polyphony really, you know, uh, the, uh, combination of melodic lines to make that make it such an interesting piece and um and I, I think Pam had similar thoughts about bringing out the uh the tune uh but also balancing the uh sometimes uh, the most interesting thing that's going on was underneath that i think she's sort of like the alto i think she, mm -hmm. you know in the, in the the there's a a uh what makes that chorale prelude so much more interesting than the hymn that was written 130 years earlier was was really that that alto line that that was uh that moved and had life to it you know mm -hmm. and it, yeah, so breaking it down into the different like voice types on the piano or I guess the organ that's a cool perspective I'm trying to think I remember them talking to you about like the tempo of like if you're going to like push it there then really commit to it and like continue to do that I thought that was really um helpful in that they weren't like do rush here do slow down here they're more just like if you're going to do something make sure that's a conscious choice and like commit to it I thought that was really a nice takeaway yeah I mean I, you know I, I I wish I had a bit more time to prepare because some some of the tempo just yeah were not intentional they were because I'm still learning the notes yeah. <laughs> I, I try I, I don't know it wasn't too bad but Oh, it, 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 you I know. thought you sounded very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I remember also he said, in addition to, you know, feeling the importance of the chorale tune, maybe taking the chorale tune out of it and then hearing the harmonies like for what they are. I thought that was also really yeah. poignant. Yes. Cool. Well, anything you've been thinking about since or how did it feel during just cl closing thoughts or thoughts on the whole experience? Yeah, well, I, I um, you know, I, I've been a big fan of Emmanuel music since I'm going to say almost 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And it's really a, a special part of Boston's cultural life. And it's it's not as, as obviously as big as the BSO or even perhaps in Handel and Haydn, mm -hmm. but it's very special. I agree. And I just want to I just wish and want to help with whatever we can to keep it going because the energy and the uh the dedication that that Ryan and Pam Delisle have and others uh it it um 
it's very much worth it to the community. Uh, and and it comes out in, in not only the Sunday service cantatas, but the education that uh, they are providing to young singers and instrumentalists mm -hmm. who some, sometimes stay on as regular performers. Sometimes they're, they're just there for a short period. And that includes the Bach Institute, of course, but even above and beyond that, uh, it, Ryan it, it has been a source for uh, exposure and sometimes for really serious training yeah. of musicians in the Boston area. And that's, that's really a, a great feather in his cap and, and, and a great credit to Emmanuel Music. And I, I know that if Craig Smith were alive, he would, he, he, he would be thrilled to know that it, things are in such good hands. They really are. Yeah. And I love that as a takeaway for the masterclass of like, you know, beyond what you learned, like it was really wonderful to see Pam and Ryan showcase their amazing skills and their teaching. I felt that way too. Lab is brought to you by Emanuel Music in Boston. The music you heard in this episode is from Bach Cantata BWV 127, conducted by Michael Beatty and engineered by Seth Torres. I'd like to extend a special thanks to Noriko Yasuda, the pianist you hear, Megan Bichelia, engagement director at Emanuel Music, for holding this wonderful event, Ryan Turner and Pamela DeLal for their inspiring teaching, and especially Carolyn Roosevelt, Jacqueline Dentino, and Frank Bunn for being excellent and brave guests. I'm Claudia Dorian, host and producer of this podcast. <laughs>